Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone. Welcome to the latest edition of uh, the Rider Rumblings video podcast. I'm here with my worthy constituent, Dr. Murray McCormick, and we're going to discuss... Well, even though the Rough Riders haven't played since we last recorded a, pod, a podcast, lots has changed, so we'll have that to, that to chew on. Uh, Candy's got her bone to chew on, but look at her. She's laying on her back. Isn't she adorable, Murr? Can you see her? Yeah, she's she a, is adorable. The beautiful dog. Uh, it's her latest. Oh, oh how's that, eh? There's my five-month-old grandson, Andrew. you got to get Finley some time, too. Yeah, she. I think she's back in school today. I'm not oh, that's right. Yes, so that's a big day for my eight-year-old granddaughter. September 1st. How did September get here? It's, it's so weird. It's September, and the Rough Riders have played three games. This is new. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it just, uh, although, I, you know, it's weird. You look back at, like, 19, 1951 or something. They, like, they played their first regular season game in, like, August, late August. So it's not unprecedented to start it this way, but uh, um, it's it sure is different for us. They, they'd normally be at the midseason mark right a, now. Like the the Labor Day game has always kind of been a bit of a rejuvenator for me. We kick up the old because you you've gone through eight or nine games, training camp and all that stuff. And you're a little bit, I wouldn't say just you need something to get you going. It's, it's always that old phrase that it, the second season, the real season starts on Labor Day. But it just seems so weird with only three games under their belt that were in the Labor Day and we're into the so-called second half of the CFL season. That it just I don't know. This seems kind of surreal in a sense. Just. And maybe it goes along with everything that's happened in the last 18 months, that it's just something that's so different that we're just reacting to it. And uh, it's here. It's Labor Day. It, it's going to be a different game. We know that. I, I don't think there's going to be the party in the park. It's not going to be as much of a a party fest, I guess, as it has been in the past. Maybe in, this, in the stadium will be, but maybe not as much outdoors. You see how many, well, just how many Bomber fans come. You know, I know it's sold out, which usually means there's a fair number of Bomber fans in the crowd, but are they going to make the trip here? And will they be vaccinated? Will this, will this be their only? The un, this will be the will this be the only yeah. chance for unvaccinated bomber fans to see their team play in person this year? I, uh, eek. Um, it's interesting though. You, you mentioned the traditionally the real season doesn't begin till Labor Day. I wonder if that still applies this year, despite the abbreviated season that we have witnessed to this point. In that, uh, the Rough Riders and, and Bombers are clearly the class of the West, and uh, and uh, they're playing back to back. And if one team sweeps this this home and home set i wonder if that effectively uh, decides the west division especially if the riders do it and suddenly they're five and oh and the bombers are are then uh are then three and three uh yeah. that could, that could be massive or the, the bombers you know conversely the bombers end up at five and one and the riders end up at three and two so i mean a sweep of this could go so far Toward deciding the eventual, toward deciding who plays host of the West Division final, and and yet we're only three games into the season from the Rough Riders standpoint, four from the Bombers standpoint, but it's also a short season, and these are the only two times this year that the two, what seem to be the two de- two best teams in the West Division meet. The likelihood is it'll be a saw off, and nothing will be resolved. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, but that's been the tradition. But how do you predict anything this year? I I, I picked the Riders for fourth and the Bombers for fifth, so I I'm. I'm not really too confident in my prognosticative skills these days. I think you still have time for those to come true. <laughs> Things, uh-huh. I, I, don't I got Ottawa me. right. I mean, give me give me credit for getting Ottawa right. I think everyone's going to be right about Ottawa. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's the first time the Riders and Bombers have met in the first top two teams in the league since when? 
2019 when they were both one and two in the uh, CFL standings in the West Division standings. Well, Bombers were third that year. The third? Yeah, Calgary oh. was uh, Calgary was second. Oh, well, why did I read really read that? Oh well, sorry about that. <laughs> I'm not going to do any more research for Ryder Rumbling. That ends it. But could this be like 2007 potentially when it was clear that the the, the Riders and Bombers looked like such good teams coming into that Labor Day weekend clash. And, of course, that was the uh, Kerry Joseph 27-yard quarterback draw with six seconds remaining. Uh, I wonder, this game kind of has the same sort of feel. Uh, the Rough Riders, obviously, they, they were, I think, 6-2 and two going into that game. There obviously isn't a body of work behind this Rough Rider team, but I think it's pretty clear right now what the what the uh, – who the, what the upper echelon in the West Division consists of. And I just wonder if it's going to have that 2007 sort of feel to it. Yeah, that's, can I say that's my favorite Labor Day classic? I know we're sure. going to – because just – and I think kind of the way he's like, you know, it was Kerry Joseph's that big run. He gets that big draw, the 91-yard drive. I was just reading this story about it, and it was – I think I, my lead was, was a classic Sunday drive for the Rough Riders. And it was that such was a – great lead. Yeah, <laughs> back in the day. And I remember it's such a – because we know how the season ends too, eh? So the Liberty Classics, even on a bigger, a bigger sort of a picture and a bigger moment than that, because we know it, it ends up with that. And that was such a, a great run by Kerry Joseph, a great crowd and people just going bananas. And I still remember that. It's probably being my, probably my favorite Labor Day Classic member. I know we may not we want to get into that right now. Or do you, you can you can have one too, but you have to have been born first. I'm well, going to limit you to how you've been born. The first Labor Day Classic was in 1951. The Bombers beat the Rough Riders 24-22. And the Bombers, I think, were trailing 22-6 to in the fourth quarter. And Jack Jacobs came in to, in to quarterback the Bombers and threw three touchdown passes. And the Bombers beat Glenn Dobbs and the Rough Riders 24-22. The Riders ended up going to the Grey Cup that year, and the Bombers didn't. And that, that's, that was the game that, that basically put the Labor Day weekend game on the map. They've been playing them as far as far back as the 1930s, but that was the first one that was really a a, a classic per se. And beyond that, it really wasn't a given that the Rough Riders would even play the Bombers on Labor Day weekend. Yeah, but uh, you know, this is uh, in 1982 that that series began becoming an annual thing. But I remember 1976 and Ron Lancaster uh, getting drilled by Bill Baker being helped off the field Late in the game, it didn't even look like Ronnie would be able to come back. He thought the season was in cinders at that point. Riders punt the ball away. John Shira retrieves, retrieves the, the punt. Uh, Pete Van Valkenburg recovers a fumble, and the Riders suddenly have the ball on the Lions' 42-yard line. And uh, four plays, 42 yards later, they're in the end zone. Ron Lancaster with Rhett Dawson on third and 10 from 18 yards away, and the Riders win that game. And uh, that wasn't... Uh, and then Ronnie had to limp back onto the field. There was, I remember the suspense and the in the stadium that day when, you know, Ronnie, does he take off his warm-up jacket? Does he come onto the field? And then he kind of just limped onto the field and directed a game-winning touchdown drive. And that was the first one that I think of when I think of classics. That one was just, that one was just absolutely amazing. you got the Rocky Butler game in, in 2002. Uh, you've got the uh, Joe Pau Pau to Ray Elgar touchdown pass in, in 1986, and the Riders beat uh, the Bombers only a few weeks after losing 56 nothing in Winnipeg. That might be the most improbable Labor Day victory next to uh, the Ken Clark game in 1983. And Ken just passed a, a few weeks ago, but Ken Clark, the Riders punter, kicks the game-winning field goal uh, 41 yards into the wind uh, the day after getting back from the, the bedside of his, uh, of his dying mother. So you've yeah. got I – mean, there's, there's so many great we Labor to, Day classics, but uh, that Ken Clark just, game will always be my favorite. And you, you covered that game too. We talked about that uh, 
I remember standing in the scrum admiring this guy. It was kind of just a youngish, hard to believe I was young once. I was in Moustad Times Herald at the time and admiring how he handled all those tough questions and thinking, man, if my mom had died, I'd be hiding in the training room bawling. He probably, yeah. maybe he probably did. He was such a classy gentleman. I just want to throw, you know, don't forget 2019 was a pretty memorable Labor Day classic. It was the, the, the Pill Country Sprint. Pill Country Spill. And I don't know if he'll get it. If that happens, he won't be allowed to do that this year because he won't, he can't, well, first off, that first row is just blocked off and the second league. I'm not allowed to do it, but that that was a pretty memorable. This that was a pretty cool one, you know, to see Brett Lowther. And the part that I remember about that, and that's just a media thing, he wasn't around to do interviews after the game. Like it's funny, people see Brett Lowther. He seems really he, he's just he's not really kind of he likes being in the media spotlight. He's, he kind of likes being in the background a little bit. He's, he's always great when he, he's great when he does it. He's, I know it's just amazing to see that a guy wouldn't want to be there to celebrate perhaps one of the biggest games in his CFL career. And we all know his CFL career wouldn't be there to want to kind of uh, talk a little about it. But I remember looking around, looking around, looking around, and waiting around for him to come to come out of the shower. And then I finally noticed his clothes were gone, so he was gone before we were even in the locker room. But what a, what what a great! I just happened to see the highlights of that again. He's waving him and John Ryan are running down the field, and John, and uh, Brett throws his helmet up in the air, and you can see John Ryan trying to find it so he doesn't get coca bonked on the head with the helmet. <laughs> That was a pretty cool thing. And all the fans and the beer being poured on. It was just, that's a fresh memory. And it reminds you of how, what this Labor Day Classic game can be. I'm going to bring up another little point. Do you remember that house on the corner, Kitty Corner from Taylor Field, where all the Bomber fans used to come and party? I don't think you ever went there very often before the game. And they just fill the guy's yard. Just be oh, filled yeah. with Bomber fans. And it'd just be... And it was such a great feeling to go in there because even the bride of water fans and rider fans, it was all very convivial. And they, they weren't drunk yet, so they weren't fighting amongst each other or, or stuff Are you like sure that. They so, weren't drunk yet? Well, okay, they were drunk, but they were still lovingly drunk. <laughs> Might <laughs> be the best way to. But I used to love going, wading into that crowd and just trying to, and talking to them and sort of bringing all the feelings of what, what the Labor Day game means to people and means to Saskatchewan and means across the league with Hamilton and Toronto and. In the other, I don't think it's only two Labor Day class. Oh, Calgary, and Calgary. Edmonton, that, that doesn't happen. Yeah, and that's so that's what they mean to the game. And I think in a season like this, where there's been so many challenges and so many things, the CFL is and hoops it's gone through to get. Maybe it's a more of a celebration of of the Labor Day Classic, which everything's good about the CFL. And let's hope it's a a memorable game with someone doing something in the last minute to win. You and I, we, we don't care who it is as long as it's a good story. It's a better story if the Riders win, but regardless of what happens, I think the Blue, they're, they're, they're arguably two of the best teams in the league right now, and, it, and I think this should produce a game that's going to be memorable. Don't you? Yeah, I just don't see how there there can't be something to talk about after this game. Uh, you know, you look at 2004, the Rough Riders lost 19-6, to and there was a lot of controversy about an interception Henry Burris threw, but I don't think we're going to get one of those type of duds. I really don't. Um I just, I just, there's, there's just too much here for this game not to be eventful. Even if the game itself isn't especially memorable, I think just because of what's at stake and what we've missed out on, uh, I think it'll assume a, even a greater degree of importance than it ordinarily would, which is a pretty high degree of importance to begin with. Just have, have it, I think it was Labor Day weekend last year when it really sunk in that there wasn't a CFL season and there wasn't going to be. So uh, this, this, uh, this year will just, it'll, I mean, all the games have felt cool. There's just, there's an extra 
extra pleasure to be derived just from sitting in a press box again. Yeah. And uh, and uh, so I don't. I think there'll be that times eight on on Sunday. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to wading into it. And then the week after, there's actually a road game. Imagine that. <laughs> a road game. I'm going on the road. See you, Marion. I'm I'm having a tough time getting my government approved light. Or, these vaccine form through the I can't get through the phone lines. So yeah, my wife tried it too, and she's been unsuccessful. I've been trying for two days now, and I keep trying and trying. I tried it this morning at eight thirty. So if anybody has any tips on what a guy can do, because I'm going to need that to get into the Bomber Stadium. But that's next week. How about the juicy storylines, Rob? Oh my let's goodness! Just, let's just talk to the top one off the top of our, our balding heads. Cody Fajardo versus Zach Clarence. I know they played in the West Final. We understand that. We know they played, you know, they played that, that was such a big game. But I still think this feels like the first time they played for some reason. I don't know. It just seems juicier than even that West Final because there's, there's a great cup on the line for that West Final. But this just seems to see what the two guys have done since since that one hit, three, three plays in the 2019 season, and how it changed both their lives so dramatically. And the team's fates. Yeah. You know, you look. Zach gets traded, Toronto gets traded, Winnipeg wins four in a row, wins a great cup. Boom. And now, now Zach Claros comes here as a great cup champion. Yeah. Previously, when he'd come here, there'd been question marks. And mm-hmm. uh, and there were question marks last time the Rock Riders played Winnipeg at Mosaic Stadium. And then how is, how is Cody Pajardo going to play? Because he had the torn obliques. And it turns out many other injuries that he'd been playing yes. through. So uh, now they're, I think there's, they're, they seem to be on more of a diff, more of a similar plane right now because, uh, well, for one, they're both healthy and and they're quarterbacking. I think the two best best teams in the CFL right now, and uh, and this this has sort of a playoff feel to it already. Mm-hmm. And we remember how that the game ended in, on November seventeenth, twenty nineteen, with the Cody Fajardo pass hitting the hitting the upright, and that is yeah. still the last time, or pardon me, the crossbar, and that's still the last time the Rivers and Bombers have played one another. And uh, it just you just factor in the traditional rivalry and it just everything. I just can't say, you know, there's the name and Roosevelt. Uh, I'm not sure if he's playing this I, weekend, but uh, I would doubt it. Uh, name and Roosevelt, such a smart guy. I don't think it would take very long for him to figure out the, the playbook. And he, he does have that past association with, uh, with Zach Kalaros. But, uh, but it's not going to be real. I don't think he's really to practice till Friday. So that's like one practice and a walkthrough and step into the, you know, he's a smart man, and he understands the CFL. I think that's even asking a lot. Why not wait a week and have him play in the Banjo Bowl? Yeah. But that's they want, they want to eliminate the drop passes, just put him in the lineup. Exactly. So, yeah. You know, Andrew Harris playing here. Um, yeah. You know, it's you know, his second game back after missing the first first few, and we saw the impact he had in, in, in the first uh, his first game of the year. So uh, last year it wasn't, or two years ago, it wasn't Andrew Harris in the Labor Day Classic. It was Johnny Augustine, yeah. so who actually played very well that day. So uh, I'm just I'm looking forward to this. This is just about the defensive ends, Rob. Let's talk about oh, them. These are four of the best defensive be ends. Amazing. You know, you have Wood, Woodard and AC Leonard for the Rough Riders, and you have Jeff Coat and Willie Jefferson, who I think is the best defensive end in the league. I think he's the best defensive player. Obviously, he earned that. He he owns games. Like he just takes over games with his size and his speed. And it's, you know, the, just imagine how good he was with the Riders. He keeps improving. I, I don't understand how a guy like that can't get a chance in the NFL. You know, he's one of the few guys I think that should have had a chance. But he just, he's so embraced the CFL world, the CFL life. You see, you watch him on Twitter and he's showing his family. And, he, and we also, I don't know him a little bit. And he's a, 
seems to be a good guy and everything, all that, which we often say a lot. But, boy, it's just the, the – and the Riders have an offensive line that's been playing better, but, boy, this is going to be a real test for the two tackles out there. Like Andrew – I don't know. We'll find out today if Brett Boyd goes back. But, you know, even if Andrew Lauderdale is – Why mess with it? Yeah, you should leave him alone. Let him see what happens there. But they're going to have their hands full. And, and we're going to have to see if Cody's quick release works against a team like the Bombers with a couple of defensive ends that can really close on and put put the speed rush on there. So it's going to be a test of Jason Moss's offense with his quick release passes and short things, seeing what happens. And and on the other side, it's going to be what we can see what Woodard and Leonard can do against arguably the best offensive line in the league, I think. Yeah, I- you know, they, the Riders, to a degree, have schemed around the offensive line situation, too. I mean, Cody Fajardo, two-thirds of the time, is getting rid of the ball within two seconds. So they aren't asking a lot of the offensive line in terms of protecting him. Now, will it be difficult to throw those shorter passes with six-foot, 400 <laughs> Willie <laughs> Jefferson hovering over, like, like uh, just this looming presence? Now, there's, you know, if, if, uh, if the Bombers conclude that there just isn't time for any defensive lineman, even one is superlative as Willie Jefferson actually get to the quarterback getting the Rough Riders scheme. Uh, and Derek Taylor and Luke Mullinger talked about this quite a bit on, on the sports cage on Monday. Um, do they, does Willie Jefferson end up becoming almost like another linebacker and he kind of yeah. the specter of Willie, Willie Jefferson in coverage? Do we see a interception or a lot of knockdown passes by Willie Jefferson? They're going to have to scheme around him to begin with, but if it's just futile to expect anybody to get to the quarterback in one and a half seconds, what, how do the Bombers use Willie Jefferson to their advantage? Because he's not just to their advantage as a pass rusher. Remember uh, 18. Has he still crossed the goal line in 18 yet? Do you think oh my crossed? goodness, that was slow. <laughs> it was so funny sitting in the press box and was at uh, IG at Winnipeg, the Blue Bombers Stadium, just tucked away in the corner. So you could see him coming. It was like, boom, boom. <laughs> just, is he ever going to cross the goal line? Yeah, such a he should have been called for delay a game before he even got to the end zone. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, was... So the, uh, um, there's, there's, that is, that is going to be an interesting aspect of the game, the whole Willie Jefferson uh, impact upon uh, the Riders' scheme, upon the football game. Uh, the Rough Riders, I think they have to start establishing a run. That's what and I'm we haven't seen that in two of the three games. Uh, William Powell played played very good and very well against Hamilton. But uh, over the course of the year, there really hasn't been much running room. I don't think it's a William Powell issue. As much as the offensive line is, is, is earned plaudit so far, they haven't really been challenged as far as pass protection, and they haven't been consistently effective in, in, in allowing a running game to exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Powell's carried the ball 40 times this year. Only two of those carries have produced double-digit a double-digit gain, and in both cases, that's a 10-yard gain. They haven't been able to really break anything. The Riders' longest run by a running back this year is Keenan LaFrance, one carry for 12 yards. they got to get William Powell going because, and again, this is something that Derek and Luke talked about in the sports cage, if you end up in second and long against this bomber defense time after time after time, you're going to be in trouble. And if you're just a one-trick pony trying to throw these four or five-yard passes to get your five or six, you know, five yards on first down, I think it's pretty easy to crowd that uh, crowd the Rough Riders receivers, and uh, and then how do you get those four or five yards? So you've got to have it planted in the Bombers' heads that the run may be an an option as opposed to here's a quick pass to Kyran Moore or Braden Lanius to get those four or five yards. So the the running game has to get going, and it can't just all be Cody Pajardo carrying the run running Listen, game. It's got to be William it, Powell. Isn't that just as effective? If it's Corey Cody doing that though. Doesn't that make him more effective as a quarterback when they have to respect his run? and get Powell out there blocking for him, which he's been doing. So maybe 
maybe Cody, you know, accentuate Cody's running ability to maybe make up for power, have power as a blocker and that stuff. Yeah, but maybe at, some that point, at some point, you still have to be able to have You still have to be able to run the ball when you got to be able to and, run and the ball. When you look at the preservation of your quarterback, uh, you know, if, if there's, say, 20 rushing plays to be had during a game, uh, if Co- William Powell isn't one of them, um, isn't getting most or at least half of them or two-thirds of them, that's just his extra hits that your quarterback is going to absorb. And, and that's the Bombers' defense is pretty fierce. So, again, there's a, there's a certain element of risk once you introduce your quarterback into that equation too often. If he's scrambling on his own, there's, I think, oftentimes the option to exercise some discretion and slide into the turf or run out of bounds. But if it's a, if it's a called running play and if he becomes the bulwark of your running attack by design, and you have to design a certain amount of your running game around Cody Fajard or, or you're not maximizing his talent, but if that becomes your preoccupation as opposed to using your, your standard tailback, uh, to me, that's you're really flirting with disaster there. Then they're and one plus, hit away from their season being going from promising to to porridge in about uh, all too quickly. And don't forget who's waiting in the middle for him to come across. And Adam Big Hill and Adam Big Hill had some big hits. He's a great player to watch too. It just well, just any great. of them on that bomber defense. And, and uh, so uh, Brandon Alexander you know, can pop people. Just they, they're going to need a traditional running game. And especially if you look at the way this season is going to go, and the riders go as far as they want to, they're playing football in December. Mm-hmm. And so you are just, you're going to need a basic running game there. And, uh, and you look how beneficial that can be for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, whether it's, uh, whether it's uh, Andrew Harris, Johnny Augustine, you know, Brady Oliveira. They've, they, they've shown that they can do that. Uh, the Rough Riders at this point have not. And that's one of the huge question marks looming over this team is can they run the football? And uh, it's not like you get a half season or two-thirds of a season with optimal weather to, to, to build up a real head start and concentrate on the pass. You've got to, I think you've got to have your running game in place if you want to in, enjoy some longevity this season. Especially with, you know, there's some uncertainty with the receiving core. Like Shaq Evans is out. We don't know what Jordan Williams-Lambert's status is. We'll probably find that out, you know, this week. What, what's, what's he going to be looking forward to because he's been hurt? So... You know, those are the two pretty key. McRoberts. Oh, it's Micah uh, Johnson. That's another oh, question. Micah Johnson. Yeah, and, you know, there's a great column I just read. I can't remember who wrote it. Oh, thank it's, you. <laughs> I, well, someone mentioned it. Well, it was on, it was in, I, was, I know where it was. But mentioned Micah Johnson is playing much better than people think he is. He's just. That was the, that was that, the insider talk, uh, John yeah, Hodges with Three Donation. That was it today. And, and, and I, I've always agreed. I've even, I was even in Micah Johnson's corner in 19. And people kept saying he wasn't playing that well. He just didn't have the sack numbers, but I still think. He was drawing the double teams and doing those kind of things on what it looked like to be a high ankle sprain, which took a long time to. And it looked like he re-injured that. He hurt an ankle when he was being carried off the field or walking off the field the last time the Riders played. So that's a big loss. But I think so. Can we get can McRoberts step up? Loss. Yeah. You know, can can you... McRoberts step up again? Can Keon Schaefer Baker step up? He had a great game, great start. I loved how he went. Uh, out to the middle of the field and just soaked in the atmosphere after that win. And you kind of remember that this this is a job, but it's also a, a lifestyle for these guys. They dream, some of these Canadian kids dream of playing in the CFL and to have a game like he did to go out there and some fans were talking to him a little bit afterwards from a socially distance, which is fair. But, you know, those guys that are going to have to step up. We'll have to see what they do. You know, that's two big losses. I, I, JWL hasn't quite stepped up as much, I don't think, yet. 
Well, now they're playing a wide receiver again. Yeah, yeah so, I know. I mean, which I keep going like he's not a wide receiver. He's a very good receiver, but he's a slot. And but you know, the whole the whole Shaq Evans thing has forced their hand. They obviously feel more comfortable with Paul McRoberts inside. And we saw in the second half of the Ottawa game what Paul McRoberts can do. He was close mm-hmm. to a touchdown, made some made some important plays. He made his first reception in professional football since January first, two thousand and seventeen, mm-hmm. when he had a six yarder for the Los Angeles Rams. So. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see Paul McRoberts, but the Rough Riders at some point, and it's a tall order against this Winnipeg defense especially, but they've got to be able to show that they can they can go over the top. Their longest completion this year is 30, 31 yards. And uh, three games into, you know, after Cody Fajardo's first three starts of, of 2019, they were the most one of the most prolific teams in the league, if not the most prolific in terms of long, a deep passing game. And that's been virtually absent. They haven't hit a bomb, so to speak. They've hit plays such as the one to Braden Lenius on the on the sideline in, in, in third and three against Ottawa, but they haven't they haven't been able to get the big strike. Unlike Winnipeg, say when Zach Kolaros goes over the top to Darvin Adams, and they've been able to get Kenny Lawler uh, open okay. on, some, on some some deeper routes too. So when he hangs onto the ball. <laughs> when he hangs onto the ball, which generally you know he's a he's good receiver, generally. and we saw that in 2019 when he when he played so well. I, I, yeah. So. Um, and Zach Caleros is showing too that I mean he's got a big arm, and and he can really sling it. And the Bombers are more dependent, I would argue, on more, I would argue than most CFL teams, on the intermediate passing game, on going between the hash marks, on throwing the ball further than ten yards beyond the line of scrimmage. The Rough Riders and and, and I was I would argue most CFL teams seem to just pick away, pick away, pick away, pick away with these sort of an incremental the focus on incremental gains. Whereas the Bombers are more aggressive that way, and I think. Zach Claros' arm and the ability to fit the ball into tight windows, which we which we which we've seen um, from him. Uh, that's that's the kind of element to the passing game that the Rough Riders have yet to introduce into their aerial attack. And uh, I can't believe we're talking about Zach Claros in this context when two years ago at this time we wondered if we ever play another game. Exactly. But he's the, the the sheer arm strength that he he has demonstrated and his nimbleness in the pocket, even though he's 33 years old now. Uh, he's He's buying himself lots of time just by, with his maneuverability in the pocket. And we're, we're seeing elements to Zach Claros's game we didn't see when he was here in, in 2018 for a fraction of a season in 2019. We saw it at 15, though, before he yeah. got hurt. So that yeah. was the type. He was on pace to be the MOP and do all sorts of good things with the Tiger Cats, and he got hurt. And that's still a thing that Zach has to overcome. He has to have a full, healthy season. Like He was healthy. 18, he missed four games, I think, too. Yeah, he had a concussion in 18. And then he missed the playoff game, too. Yes, that, well, yeah, yeah. That's a whole other. <laughs> wasn't so, that a bunch of games we ship, eh? Holy smokes, that was Chris Jones at his best. But anyway. what about the vaccine issue, Mur? I guess that we, we've gone uh, beyond a half hour into this. I don't know. Part, and we hey, haven't discussed what has been the news of the week. I'm all for vaccination. I'm all for anybody, any incentives that people can get that we can provide for people to get vaccinated on for. I think the riders have done. It took them a while, but there's also people who are blaming. There are also circumstances that dictated what they could do. They they made the decision, rightly or wrongly, to follow the rules the government had set up, and that's what they had done. But, you know, you I still wonder how many people are going to be there on Sunday. I still think people are concerned about them being sitting around non-vaccinated people, even even though they don't have to be vaccinated for this one. I think it's going to be an indication of what they think. But you said it right, and you were on top of that, this issue right from the word go. They, they have to do it. They had to do something, and they, this is a good reaction to it. And I think let's let's all get vaccinated. Let's not 
it's all joined together. We're all, I'm, I proudly say I'm, I'm maximum vac- vaccinated. So I feel comfortable, I guess, going to large crowds. I'm not 100% comfortable, but I'm comfortable. How's that? It still boggles the mind that there's th- that much resistance to something that should be so fundamental when we're talking about a virus that is so dangerous and so prevalent and to a significant degree now, so preventable. Uh, and you're looking at the national, you know, the, you're looking at, I mean, there's baseball announcers that are t- being taken out, out of studio. John Smoltz and Al Leiter, because they won't get vaccinated. We've had NFL quarterbacks who aren't getting vaccinated. Like, how ridiculous is this? Um, get your shots. Uh, and a reader made a really good point when she emailed me the other day. said, why? She'd really like to see a push where the Riders would be the first team in the CFL to have 100% vaccination of players. And I'll tell you what, if they don't, good luck making road trips to Montreal and Hamilton later this year with a full complement of players. We will mm-hmm. see then what kind of... Uh, peer pressure can be exercised. And that's not a decision that can be made on the spur of the moment. You've got to plan your vaccination like life now in order to be able to make those road trips. And if not, the, the rough riders have to take into account this player is not going to get vaccinated. Uh, and there's the, the schedule is so road heavy going into the second half of the year. Does that affect someone's livelihood if they're a vaccinated player and they might be viewed at least to some degree as being replaceable? But you know, as much as the Rough Riders can be criticized for taking as long as they did to make that call, they did make that call. And I'm glad somebody made that call because it sure wasn't going to be the provincial government. No. And, you know, I, we, we elect governments. And I'm, I'm apolitical. I voted for pretty much everybody you can vote for politically uh, in terms of uh, uh, um, federally, provincially. I mean, I'm not a I – I don't carry any cards except for a vaccination card. But honestly, we elect governments to make these tough decisions. And they're paid very well. To, to make these tough decisions and to offload the accountability for this on the Rough Riders and to for some members of that organization to bear the brunt of it because they're perceived by the people who are opposed as being the, the heavies here. I find that re- reprehensible in, the, in that there's such a, 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 a an abdication of responsibility. And a good government isn't, uh, is more about, it's more about, it should be more about just trying to get reelected and trying to appease factions it should be about doing the right thing the rough riders did the right thing and i can't say that the same applies to scott moe and his people we've yeah. just lost all saskatchewan party supporters at the, at the <laughs> 42 minute 42 minute mark of this podcast but honestly uh you know it's uh good for the rough riders they i i thought you know it's not, the rough riders put their faith in the provincial government and, and in the authorities and said we will we will abide by the advice that they provide and uh and then ultimately, it was just nothing was done at that level, and the Rough Riders had to go it alone. Yeah. And they are going to be now, the, I think, the catalyst for other teams, other associations, other venues doing this in the province. We're seeing it already, but in some cases with entertainment venues, for example. But now that the Riders have done that, that pretty much sets the bar for, I would think, for the Regina Pats, for the Saskatoon Blades, for the SGHL, for anything. And the Rough Riders are, are the catalyst for that. And I, I you know... Again, they're paid well too, and they have a very, very prominent role um, in the province, and, and in terms of, in terms of the dictating the mindset of what we do. But this shouldn't have been the riders' call. The Rough Riders should have been more in a different situation. And uh, but they did make the call, and I applaud them for it. And uh, and uh, the response that they're getting has been over the top in some cases because they they shouldn't have to deal with the brunt of the negative feedback. Also, what is the league going to do with the Edmonton Elks? It's kind of like they're giving them a bit of a pass. For, all, for that game, they had to cancel because 
was it 12 to 13, even 14 at one time? Yeah. Because one of them was a false positive, so I can't remember the exact numbers on that. I think it came in at 13, and they yeah. ended up releasing Jacob Ruby on Tuesday. I know, and he's a, he's a smart Canadian offensive lineman. And, you know, what he did is just, and I was, it, was, it was interesting watching it on, unfold yesterday on Twitter, that basically he lied to the team. Sounds that way. Or, or didn't, didn't lie, just didn't tell the truth. Is that another way to say it? Just, yeah, you know, I mean, we may find, and we have, his, his version of events hasn't yet been told, but uh, my favorite tweet yesterday was from Robert, Rough Rider fan Govind, Govind who uh, said, uh, we can call this uh, Goodbye Ruby Tuesday. Yeah, so, that was yeah, that was a good one. Like Isn't that a good one? So, uh, yeah. Um, but what does he have? Yeah. What, it's just like, what do you have to gain by not doing that? Like, I don't understand. Just like, you just, know, I was, just get vaccinated. I was it's really not excited. that difficult. If you're a team player, get vaccinated. If you've got a medical reason, okay, fine. If you've if you've got a religious reason, that should be respected. Anything beyond that, it just comes down to common sense. And if you're not vaccinated, just because you're making I'm sick of people talking about I'm, I'm I need to get more need to do more research I need to get more education yeah. blah blah. If you can't find the necessary research or, or, or education, if you considering all the talk that there's been about this for the past year and a half plus, and everything that there is online that is reliable, as opposed to some of the wacko fringes that are posting these theories about 5G and and everything else, if you can't find credible research and, and come to a reasoned conclusion that the, the the benefits of the vaccine far outweigh the, outweigh the detriments. Um, I'm not sure you're worth having on the team anyway. Yeah, I agree with you, Rob. I think you're not, you're not a team you're player. You're your teammates. And Gene Mikulski used to say football is the ultimate team game, and this is the ultimate team move to go to follow your teams and go along with them to get vaccinated. What are you think, asking? But, you're asking somebody to get a shot in the arm. How is that different from smallpox, polio, tuberculosis? Uh, I mean... Honestly, the, the travel the I travel restrictions aren't supposed won't be in place. I don't think by the time they make the road trip to Winnipeg, I know we're talking October. And who October. knows if there's, if there's a different uh, federal government in power by October? Is there a different restriction? Yeah, you know? so it may be, it may be. during the during the Liberal administration, and the Conservatives may have a different view on that. So if yeah, they get just, in. So just to think back to the Elks for a second. So what does the CFL do in this situation? They came out with a pretty ironclad. COVID policy about if you have too many guys with COVID and you force the league to miss a game, you lose your salaries. Yeah, we haven't, it hasn't of, yet been proven that, or it isn't yet certain that a game will be missed. If they can wedge it into the schedule, fine. But well, uh, take a look at the schedule. There's not much room to wedge things in there. Like, and you look at the Toronto Argonauts and how they're inconvenient. They did nothing wrong, and yet they, they would have to play on a short week or, or mm-hmm. potentially lose a home game on account of this. Um, where, where, what's, where's the benefit for the Toronto Argonauts? Um, I would consider, you know, penalizing them a draft pick or just, it's a, it's uh, just for what's happened. The point. penalties but, are built into the system though. They, they came up with a COVID policy that expressed what happens if you can't get the game in. They're right there. It's in black and white. So I don't yeah. know adding other things like draft picks and stuff to that mix. seems well, like watering it down a little bit. Or else, you know, end up disrupting the regular season and the credibility of the regular season to a point where it's just it's just a continual bad look. I, why not a further sanction against the organization? Because ultimately that's what it comes down to. Uh, an organization did not convey that message well enough uh, for uh, for this uh, to prevent this from happening. Yeah, fell into a masseuse. <laughs> I thought that was, he inadvertently got a massage. How do you inadvertently get a massage? I know my world, if I want a massage, 
it's a pretty. It's a we, pretty we could get into that topic, but I don't think that's within our purview. <laughs> no. <laughs> Unless we're talking just, about the New England Patriots. Let's just as a quick. We're, we're talking a lot about things. How about Jake Mayer? Like you've ever yeah. seen a what an amazing start! What a great weekend for football! I know yeah, the games I mean, gets all... intercepted twice to, right off the bat to start a CFL career, and you're thinking, hmm. But yeah. uh, he's like he's he's imperturbable. Yeah, sixteen imperturbable. Ooh, yeah. Wow, uh, sixteen for sixteen to start. That's impervertible. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. you know, and we, we, much was made of Cody Pajardo going fifteen for fifteen, and yeah. uh, and uh, so yeah, it's again never right off Calgary. They Never just ever go. People. That's what they do. It's in it's in the it's in the DNA in Calgary. And uh, I remember in 1995, and there were injuries, and people, are, you know, Doug Flutie got hurt. It's like, well, what are the what are the St. Peter's going to do? No, there's 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 Jeff Garcia. Yes, they enough. find their way out of these problems, and they're doing it again with Jake Mayer. Well, was it when your Henry Burris was hurt too, and they had a whole bunch of guys lined up behind him? Oh yeah, I mean they had Drew Tate, they had Kevin so, Glenn, they, they had a young Bo, Bo Levi Mitchell. That's so right. They just kept, you know, they just kept rolling out people when uh, that's what they do. Even even in in 2019, and Bo Levi wasn't uh, wasn't available. There's Nick Arbuckle, Arbuckle, and he came into Mosaic Stadium and blew up the Ryder defense. And they're still looking for Reggie Begleton. So that's what the Stampeders do. They just keep finding people, and uh, they found Henry Burris once upon a time. And if you look at it at it going back to to 1999, I believe, and the Stampeders had injury problems in 99, and uh, Henry Burris comes in and lights somebody up. They just find people. Yeah. That's what they do. And maybe in, in, in our earlier discussion about the Riders and the Bombers being you know, the perceived upper echelon of the West Division, can you totally rule out the likelihood of Calgary by the end of the season influencing that yeah. equation, especially when you consider they got three games against the Riders where they could really disrupt the balance exactly. of power by doing something uh, in that situation, two of those games being in Calgary. So those, those might still be rider home games. <laughs> well, it's funny. I was looking at, we were looking at the schedule last night, coming off the bye week and stuff. Marion with my wife says, they play Calgary three games in a row? You're right. Is this right? What kind of scheduling is that? And I go, it's CFL scheduling. But no, I haven't really seen an explanation why they have to play Calgary three well, games you in got, a row. You've got a situation uh, with, there, there's, in the East, there's uh, I think teams that play each other four times, and yet the Bombers don't play Ottawa at all. So Yeah. It's a kind of, well, that's it's the COVID. The COVID football league, they're doing whatever they can to stay on their feet. And it's pretty interesting to see uh, when Craig Reynolds talked a little bit about the uh, vaccines, he also was asked about the financial picture, and it's not getting any better from and listening to Craig Reynolds say. There it's will the, be costs to be borne, I'm sure. It's not all going to be on Everaz as far as just making this policy feasible. It's going there's, to be there's a chemist to be, to be purchased. There's people to be hired in short order. Um, and... I'm not sure I'd be really excited about being one of those people who's dealing with tens of thousands of people one-on-one and with the, when the, with, with the pandemic and its fourth wave. I'm not sure that's going to, people are going to be lining up for that job or yeah. for those jobs, but there's security. Uh, there's talk of a demonstration or a rally outside the uh, Mosaic stadium. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's so that, that necessitates at least making sure there's the security costs are uh, well, likely going we- up. Timmy, who's the president and CEO of Real, said, we know, basically said, it's going to be on the fans. It's going to be on season tickets. The extra money it's cost is going to be put on season tickets. It's going to be on concert tickets. So the money it's cost to do this is going to ultimately be on the people going to the event, which is just ultimately who should pay for it. I think that's the same with the, the game licensing fee, too. If you're going to want new things and pretty toys and things at a stadium, 
you're going to have to pay for it with your audio tickets. Are you still with me? Yep. Just, uh, I'm looking for our uh, little thing to read at oh. the end of this. Okay, good. So I can, I can have it actually have it queued up this week as opposed to uh, sitting yep. on it like I did last week. And, oh, what do we do while we're killing time here? Okay. So now we're killing time here. Where's my voice changer app, Mer? Don't know. There it is. Well, I should let you, as we talk, it's 11.24 a.m. On, on the first day of September. How did yeah. it become September already? And, sure, rolled uh, in, sure rolled in last night, though. Holy my goodness. I, I went to the Y last night, and there was such a difference between South Regina, where I reside, and North Regina, Northwest Regina, where the Y is located. And there was, a, on McCarthy Boulevard, there was a car marooned in a puddle. Um, the Ring Road had some deep puddles in it. I, I barely made it through one of them. There, the, the parking lot at the, at the Y on Rochdale was just... I thought, did it snow here? Oh my God, that's that's hail, and uh, so um, and there's branches all over the place. Um, Funny, and I live in the east end, and we have a big wind like that. I have some willow trees in the backyard. Usually, there's branches all over the yard. There's one branch on my yard today, and I opened up the side door because I heard the hail, and one hit me on the head, and it hurt. Hmm. It was just a little well, tiny piece. Well, I, hope, I hope the piece of hail is okay. Yeah, I think it's fine. Sorry, but you should have worn a hailman. Helmet. Ah, it, was, it was a Hail Murray. It was a Hail Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, now we're just getting silly. It's my, my fault. Let's get sillier and play the uh, play the little disclaimer. This is this is the the, um, uh, the influence of our producer Mark Melnichuk, who insists that we we play this or we'll be shot or something. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review at a five star rating. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email Rob at rvanstonepostmedia.com, and we'll read it on the air. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Vanstone or Murray at Murray LP. Isn't that impressive? If you enjoy the podcast, Whoa, it goes on a loop. Anyway, so, we're going to call so, it. That's, that's traditionally our way to end this. We'll be back. We'll get us out of this, customer. We'll be back either next, probably next Tuesday. Looks like the way it's going to be. I think that's the way things are shaping up. We just things got a little mixed up with the bye week that we moved it back a week. I hope after the conclusion of this podcast, who knows if we'll ever be back? But yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll see if we can salvage things. Uh, this is what clever editing is for. Well, we had the Hail Murray. Maybe we'll have a prayer that'll get us back online again. It's going to take something. Uh, we, we need help. Uh, you've probably ascertained that by now. For Murray McCormick, I'm Rob Vanstone. Uh, for the moment, we're employed by the Regina Leader Post, and we hope to still be so a week from now. Take care. Enjoy the game this weekend. Stay healthy and uh, stay safe. Thanks for your time today. <laughs>